Thank you, Di. Wow, that would have been a long checkout process. Can you imagine that, doing that every day? I love the, um, you know, the automatic one now that you just scan the barcode. That's, that's awesome. Anyway, um, good to have you all in church. And of course, as Di said, we have uh, four families that are dedicating their babies today, which we're real excited about. And uh, we love babies in this church. And uh, this is a great moment for, for them, but also for us as a church family. So I'm going to ask all of them. I think they've been told where to stand. I'm going to ask you to come forward if you would. We have the Savelsberg family here. We have the Molnar family. You're welcome to give them a hand as they come. We've got the Palmer family and the Coburn family as well. And they're all dedicating their little babies. And I'm going to come down the front here and I'm going to stand in front of you uh, with my wife, Di. Come on, let's, let's stand over here. How are you doing? The Molnars, beautiful Isabella, the Palmers, the Savelsbergs and the Covens. Di, come, and, come and, uh, and, and introduce everyone to the church. Okay, so starting on my left here, uh, this is beautiful Victoria Grace. Mum and Dad, James and Tricia Silversberg, we are so excited for you and your story is amazing and this is a beautiful princess miracle baby. And here we have gorgeous Isabella Rose and Mum Chelsea and Dad Noah Molnar and we are really, really excited for you and your family to be here today. Um, here we have Turner Elijah and he is an absolute champion. Uh, Mum and Dad actually are pastors here at our church, so we're very happy about that. Jacob and Brittany Palmer. And then, what a beautiful baby. We have Caleb Thomas with Dad Josh and Kayla Coburn. So welcome. Amen. All right. Well, um, before we uh, pray for them, and uh, we're going to do distance prayer today. <laughs> Um, before we pray for them, I want to take a moment just to talk a little bit about what's happening here. Uh, right now, these parents are dedicating their babies to the Lord. This is a custom that has been a part of the Jewish history and Christian history right from the very beginning when Jesus was uh, brought to the temple uh, and he was dedicated in the temple, uh, as was the Jewish custom of the day. Now, these babies have no clue what's going on right now. Uh, they're just looking around wondering what on earth is happening. And that's fine because this is a moment when you as parents are dedicating them to the Lord. And in a sense, what you are doing is you're giving back to God and committing to God the gift that He gave to you. And uh, you're also praying for wisdom. How many parents here know you need wisdom. You're also praying for, for patience, and you're praying that God will help you raise these children so that they can grow up and fulfill their purpose and destiny. And I want to read a, a verse to you here, or a psalm to you, which I, I believe is very powerful. And it's Psalm 127, and this is what it says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. 
Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So you're going to need to, uh, I'm sure that you're asking God to help you build a house and build a home where these children are going to grow up and, and grow up and fulfill all of their potential. The Lord guards the city. The watchman stays awake in vain. If you're a parent, you're watching over your children. And we, we're praying that God will watch over you, asking that God will watch over your children. And then it goes on to say, it's vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. Any parents, when they're teenagers, I've got to tell you, right now you're just wanting them to get to sleep. When they're teenagers, you're just wanting them to come home. And you're staying awake until they come home. You know all about that, Noah, when you were a teenager. Um, and, and it says, so, uh, to eat the, for, so he gives his beloved sleep. That's good news. Sleep is on its way. And as parents, you stay up with your kids, but we can rest knowing that God is watching over them and keeping them. And it goes on to say, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is his reward. They're a gift to you. And like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They will not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. That's five. A quiver is five. I hope you're all taking note of that. Okay? One is addition. Two is reproduction. Three is now you're starting to add. Four, you're multiplying. Six, you're really five, you're into multiplication. So happy is the man and the woman who have their quiver full of them. So I want to encourage you uh, as we pray for you as a church and as a family, we want to stand with you. Uh, kids grow up in families, but they also grow up in community. And we want to be a, a community of faith that can stand with you as you grow and as you raise your kids. And we're going to pray for you now and pray that God will have his hand on your lives and on your children's lives. I love that verse where it says that they're like an arrow in the hand of a warrior. An arrow has, uh, when, it's, when, it's, when it's pulled back in the bow and it's released, it's released to hit the mark. To hit the mark uh, of, uh, and I believe that your kids, every single one of them, has a destiny, and that you're going to raise them. And I, I believe that you will, God will give you wisdom to raise them so that they can fulfill their God-given destiny. And those of you, I'm sure there's people here that have had kids. Your parents know well that it, the time goes so fast, and but while they're with you, you have the opportunity to help them grow, develop, fulfill their, so that they can fulfill their God-given potential. So we're going to pray. Um, I'd ask the congregation, if you would, you can stand now, and would you stretch your hand towards them? And we're going to pray for the parents, and we're going to pray for the children that are being dedicated. Father, we thank you for, for each and every one of these families. We thank you for the parents. We thank you for the gift that their children are to them. Thank you, Lord, that you have a divine purpose and plan for each one of them. And Lord, as they dedicate them to you, we pray that you would give them wisdom, that you would give them understanding. 
We pray that you would help them to raise them up so that they can fulfill their God-given purpose and destiny. And we thank you, Lord, for divine protection. Keep them, watch over them, give them great, great health. And I pray, Lord, that the day will come when they themselves will make a commitment of their lives to you so that they will have that personal relationship with you that will enable them to raise their kids and their children's children. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Give them a big congratulation. So excited for you all, Di. Well, we are really thrilled, and we've got a little gift for you. This is a children's Bible for every one of the little ones, and I hope this becomes a special treasure of reading time. And we also, of course, have some cupcakes. Um, I think these go to mum today. <laughs> I don't know the, well, I don't know. You want these? You want these? I think you want these. No. <laughs> We're so thrilled, yeah. so let's give them another hand. You guys can take your seats again, but we're thrilled for you as a family. Congratulations. All right. There you go. Why don't we give our worship team a hand, thank them. And we have another gift, uh, I think, that's coming. It's on its way but uh, that we'll, we'll get that to you afterwards as well. All right. Well, the babies were very well behaved. Not so sure about the parents, but the babies were. Um, and uh, that's very special. You know, it's a, an amazing thing. If you, if you live long enough, you not only get to dedicate babies, but you, able to, you, you, you get to dedicate those babies' babies over a period of time. And I'm, you know, we moved here 15 years ago, so I haven't been able to do that here, but I know that there's many people in Australia that were friends of ours that have had babies, and now they're getting married, and they're having kids, and it's a wonderful thing to, to, uh, to just watch the generations over time, and that's what I want to speak about today. The title of my message is from generation to generation. And I want to read, start by reading a passage of Scripture in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 15. So this is what we read. The context of this story is this, that God calls a man by the name of Abraham uh, to go to a land that God promises he'll show him. Abraham sets out on a journey of faith, not knowing where he's going to go. And he ends up in a land, the land of Canaan, and there he has a son, Isaac, and he has a grandson, Jacob. And then Jacob has 12 sons, one of whom is Joseph, whose brothers uh, take a disliking to him, throw him in a pit, sell him into slavery, and he gets sold into slavery in Egypt. Eventually, during a time of famine, Jacob's uh, brothers, uh, um, in the middle, middle of a famine, and, and their, their, their father, Jacob, says to them, what are you doing standing around looking at each other, wondering what to do? Go down to Egypt and find bread there. When they go down to Egypt, to cut a long story short, Jacob, uh, Joseph is revealed to him, to his brothers, and they recognize that this is the brother that they had sold into slavery. 
And so Joseph, who is in favor with Pharaoh, invites the whole family to come down to Egypt. And there they begin to flourish, and they prosper, and they grow, and they increase in numbers until the Pharaoh that Joseph knew died. And another Pharaoh rose, arose, and he was threatened by the growth and the increase of God's people, of the, the Israelite people. And so he enslaved them. And so for 400 years, this nation was, a, uh, was enslaved until finally God delivered them through Moses. And this is what happens when Moses, who's tried to deliver them in his own strength and in his own power, um, kills an Egyptian, and as a result of it, flees for his life. He's in the wilderness, and he has an encounter with God at a burning bush. And it catches his attention because the bush is burning, but it's not being consumed. And God begins to speak to him out of it and tells him that God, God says, I'm going to use you to deliver my people out of Egypt and take them to the land that I promised to your forefather, Abraham. And, of course, Moses was very unenthusiastic about this. And uh, he started to make up all sorts of excuses as to why he didn't want to be used by God in this way. And one of the excuses was, well, who am I going to, when, when I go and see them, they're going to say, who sent you? Who am I going to say has sent me? And God says to him, tell them I am that I am has sent you. And then after that, God says this, God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. And I want to take note of that verse in particular because we're going to dive into that a little during the time that we have to talk about how God reveals himself as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Um, this morning, we dedicated some beautiful babies, and they are the newest generation. But I know that right here, amongst those that are here today, there's not only one generation. I'm looking right now, I can see two generations. I can see three generations. I can see four generations. I can see babies. I can see parents. I can see grandparents. And there are any grand, great-grandparents. Any great-grandparents here, give me a wave. There's some over here as well. So, four generations. How amazing is that? Four generations that are present. Each one of you has a story to tell. I mean, Di identified herself as being a part of a previous generation because she talked about being a checkout chick who had to manually move things from one trolley to, it sounds prehistoric, doesn't it? From one trolley to the other and then type in all the, all the prices. Um, so, four generations. And each one of you has handed something down to the next generation. And it's not just your physical features. I'm sure that you've had, since you've had your babies, you've had people say, oh, your baby looks just like you. And you look at the baby and you think, 
What exactly is it about the baby that looks like me? Because babies look like babies. And so, obviously, as they grow and as they develop, they're going to start, they're going to start taking on some of your physical features um, and some of the characteristics and some of the habits and, and, uh, that are going to be uh, handed down, and uh, some good and some bad. You've heard it said that God's punishment for your behavior as a child was to give you children of your own. So we are all, we all know what we were like as kids, and as parents we begin to discover, discover that the kids, children have a will of their own. Usually the first word that they learn is no. The first word that our daughter Bella said was shoes. When she said that, I knew we were in trouble. <laughs> but you find out that they have a will of their own. You find out that uh, no is their favorite word, that they have selective hearing and selective memory. Uh, and of course, as a parent, we, we, we ask ourselves, where did this child get these characteristics from? And it's always from the other side of the family, never our own. But they're going to learn your values. They're going to learn your beliefs. They're going to learn principles in the home. They're going to learn about and, and take on many of your interests, your food taste. Why is it that Australians love Vegemite? Because it's the best thing you can put on bread. And it's because kids in, a, in, in, in Australia grow up eating Vegemite. I don't know why Americans don't like Vegemite, but it's an acquired taste. And many of the pastimes, some of the sports teams, have you ever noticed that people in, you know, I'm looking at Michael Elmont here. He's a Green Bay Packer fan. And his son is a Green Bay Packer fan. And his daughter is a Green Bay Packer fan. I couldn't think of a colder place on the planet to go and watch a game of football. But anyway, and professions. Very often, our kids end up doing what we're doing. Um, and so there are many things that are modeled from generation to generation. The Bible talks about this a lot. For example, in Psalm 145 and Verses 3 to 5, David writes there, One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. And so, as we look at this subject today, there are three things that I want to highlight that are in that statement that God makes to Moses. I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and I'm the God of Jacob. And it's these three things, that God is a Genera a relational God, number one. He is a generational God, number two. And he is a transformational God, number three. We find in that statement all th three of those things. He's a relational God. Who's he the God of? He's not the God of um, the cosmos or the God who created the universe. He, he brings it down to a personal statement. I'm the God of Abraham I'm the God of Isaac, and I'm the God of Jacob. And the good news for you and me this morning is that he's your God by name, and he's my God 
by name. He's the God of Jonathan. He's the God of Diane. He's your God. Secondly, he is generational because Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were three generations that God built a nation from. So he's a generational God, and then he's a transformational God. Abraham was an idolater, the Bible tells us, when God called him from Ur of the Chaldees to Canaan. God transformed Jacob, who was a schemer, into Israel, a prince with God. God transformed a family into a nation, and from that nation would come the Messiah, who would be the one who would bless the whole world. So everything that God does, and if you leave with one thing today, I want to encourage you to think about this. Everything that God does is relational. Everything that God does is generational. And everything that God does is transformational. And that's good news because it involves every single one of us. If we want to live with lives that are blessed, if we want to live lives that are fruitful, if we want to live lives that are filled with purpose, then we need to live relationally, generationally, and transformationally in our focus. So the first thing that I want to highlight is God is a relational God. Everything that God does is relational by nature. When we look at the Bible and we look from the beginning to the end, from Genesis through to Revelation, we see that everything about God is His desire to have a relationship with you, to have a relationship with me, to have a relationship with every single person that has ever lived. God created you and me not to give Him a headache, not for Him to, to, to worry about. No, He created us so He could have a personal relationship with us. And if you go back to the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, it, we read there, God said this, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Have you ever wondered what that means? Let us make. That's referring to the first family that, was, that is without beginning and end, that God said, let us. That was God the Father our Heavenly Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that hovered over the face of the waters at creation, and God at the very beginning when God brought life to the universe. So God wants us to be a part of His family. He wants us to be in relationship with Him. And that's why Jesus reiterated this when He was having a conversation with the Sadducees. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection from the dead. That's why they were so sad, you see. Very corny, but worth, worth a try this morning. They were so sad because they did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. And this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, but, the, but concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. The two central figures of the Old and New Testament 
Moses and Jesus both declare, use this phrase. Therefore, it is really important that we take note of what that means and, and how that relates to each and every one of us. And God said to Abraham, I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. So very clearly, God wants to have a relationship with us. And Di spoke so well about her wow cake, about how God, God makes something out of the mess of our lives. Have you ever thought about how God can take the mess of your life and turn it into a message that can help someone else? who's going through the same challenge or the same difficulties that we're going through. And so when you look at Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were far from perfect. I mean, we tend to, uh, we, we, we tend to kind of look at them as if they were, uh, they were kind of paragons of virtue, but they weren't. Abraham had his own faults. J uh, Isaac had faults. And of course, Jacob, well, he's a study in, uh, in himself on scheming and cheating and all the rest of what went with his life. But the reality is that God, even though they lost their way, maybe even though they, they lied or cheated like Jacob, he still included them in their relational, generational, transformational plan that he had. So God's not afraid of dysfunction. God is not afraid of complexities or challenges. He's, he wants to enter right into the middle of it. And I love that verse in the message version of the Bible that says, God did not show himself as being aloof or distant, but he sent his son Jesus so that he could enter into the disordered mess of humanity and set it right once and for all. So God is a relational God, and he wants us, he wants relationship to be at the very core of what, at the very center of everything we do. I wonder if we all looked at every situation and every circumstance in life through the lens of relationship, how it would change the way we respond or the change that way that we react. I've raised several kids, more kids than I can remember. I've raised a lot of kids and there's been a lot of heartache, and there's been a lot of challenges. There's been so much joy, but there's been ups and downs. And the reality is that if we look at every circumstance and situation through the lens of relationship, it changes the way that we respond. It changes the way that we act. And this morning, we dedicated those babies. Like I said, they had no clue what was going on. They probably will never remember this moment. But the day will come because of the values, because of what you as parents have taught them, because of what you have invested in them, the day will come when they will have an awakening, when they will have a moment, when they will encounter God for themselves personally and make a commitment of their lives to God out of a, out of a personal relationship that will be transformational, not just for time, but for eternity. The second thing that we see is that God is a generational God. He builds, everything God builds is generational. He used 
Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and God calls himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, fundamentally, I believe, because he wants us to know that everything that God does is generational by nature. He began with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 sons who became the 12 tribes, the 12 tribes who multiplied. There were three million that were delivered out of Egypt. If you read the Old Testament in, the, uh, in Deuteronomy, it tells us there were 603,500 fighting men over the age of 20. That was some army that they had. But God worked generationally through them. I love this. In, in, in Matthew chapter 1, we have the genealogy of Jesus. Anyone ever got to the genealogies in the Bible, in the Old Testament or the New Testament, and you just go, I'm skipping that? Well, they're all in there for a reason. Did you know that in Jesus' genealogy, there are all sorts of unsavory characters? One of them was Manasseh, who was the worst king that Israel ever had, who was basically a murderer, and, a, and we won't get into the whole, the whole. But the story of the Bible doesn't skirt uh, or, or brush over that. It, the Bible talks about every generation as being significant, and even in the midst of dysfunction, even in the midst of failure, God is faithful. And in Matthew 1.17, we read, So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations. And from captivity into Babylon until the Christ are 14 generations. That's 14 times 2. What's that, die? Where are you, die? What's 14 times 2? 14 times 2 is 42. 42 generations. 42 generations from 14, 28, 38, 42, 42 generations. Can we just get that established? Because I know there is, I heard some murmurings and mumblings and in the, amongst the people, which Moses did in the wilderness all the time. So I'm in good company. 42 generations, 14 times 3. Now, why would the, am I, the way you're laughing at me makes me, can someone please verify that 14 times 3 is 42? Thank you, thank you, because you, your doubt is causing me to doubt. 42, 42 generations. Why would the writer, why would Matthew say that there were 42 generations and divide them up into three lots of 14 generations between three significant time periods because the generational continuum of, of God's creation is important to God and it's important to us. And when we understand that God works generationally, we understand that God can do way more for us when we think generationally, when we act generationally. Of course, God told Abraham, I'm thinking generationally because in you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. When he said that, God was speaking to Abraham about the one who would be born 42 generations later, Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, who would be born as the Savior of the world. And he says, in you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed.
So what does this have to do with me? Well, first of all, I need to be thinking generationally. I think some people, uh, some people think generationally. Some people think momentarily. Some people just don't think at all. But if I want to live a life that's going to be fruitful, that's going to be blessed, I need to think generationally. I have lived long enough now. I know it's very surprising when you look at me, but I have lived long enough now to see several generations uh, grow and become adults. And uh, uh, five years ago, I went to uh, Barcelona in Spain, Barcelona, para todos los que hablan el idioma celestial, Barcelona in Spain. And I visited the, a, a uh, cathedral called La Sagrada Familia. Interestingly enough, Sagrada Familia means the sacred family. And it was built by, uh, the architect was a man by the name of Gaudi. Gaudi, of course, was a, a famous architect. And, and he uh, began the work on the cathedral in 1882. So I visited it five years ago, and there were still 10 years until it was going to be completed. From 1882 to 2026, which was the 100th year anniversary of Gaudi's death. When Gaudi create, created the concept or the idea of that cathedral, and there's a, I think there's a picture here, uh, of the Sagrada Familia, which really looks like uh, one of those, um, you know, one of those sandcastles that ma that's made with the drips that come down, a sand drip uh, castle. When he began to design that, he knew that he was not going to see the completion of that cathedral. And when I first saw it in 1973, the first time I visited that cathedral was in 1973. That year was uh, 80, 80, 85 years after he'd started building this. So in 1972, which is over 40 years ago, it had already been being built for all that time. And so... When I saw it, I was just, I was, I was taken aback by the, 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 the kind of approach that he had to building this cathedral. Um, Gaudi called himself God's architect because what he wanted to do was he wanted to create the Bible written in stone. And I've got to tell you, if you are interested in buildings and you ever go to that part of the world, you have to go and visit La Sagrada Familia because it is a, the most amazing cathedral. But it was built with a generational mindset, and it was built with a relational mindset, and it was built with a transformational mindset because working on that building right now, well, right now they've stopped the work, but when they resume it, on that building you'll find the children's children's children of people who started building that cathedral in 1882. He had a generational mindset. He had a transformational mindset because he wanted to, he wanted to 
uh, create a, a, a cathedral that would be a picture of God's interaction with humanity, that told the story of the Bible down to the finest detail. And one thing that Gaudi did, which brings us to the next point, that God is a transformational God, is that Gaudi created models and he created plans so that those who lived after him would be able to follow those plans and use the model that he had left to continue to build that cathedral to bring it to completion. God has given us His Word. If you want a manual or I want a manual for raising children, this is the best book that you can read. If I want a, a manual for how to live my life, this is the best book that I can read. If I want a manual about how to have good relationships, this is the best book that I can read. If I want a manual about how I can change and transform my life, this is the best book I can read. Gaudi left plans and he left a model. God gives us his word and he sent Jesus as a model for us to follow. And the reality is we all live in a broken world. And we are broken to some degree or another but we are a work in progress. And that statement that God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob reminds us that we as human beings are a work in progress. That even though we may not have reached perfection, we're a work in progress. Next time you blow it, next time you make a mistake, and maybe a your wife or your husband calls you out, just answer, I'm a work in progress. We're all a work in progress. And that statement reminds us that we're all on that journey. We're all on a, on a, on a, on, on a track of transformation. A couple of thoughts I want to leave you with. If you read the Old Testament... Or, or the New Testament, for that matter, but it, this mostly appears in the Old Testament. Have you ever wondered why, when after God changed his Jacob's name to Israel, because Jacob means deceiver and supplanter, and his name was changed to Israel, which means prince with God, after he'd gone through all his struggles, and after he'd gone through the process of transformation, his name was called Israel. Why is it that God if you read after that, refers to him as Israel some of the time and Jacob some of the time? Well, I'll tell you why. Because God wanted to remind him and remind us that Jacob, even though he'd been through a personal transformation, was still a work in progress. God was not putting him back in the Jacob box. God was not putting him back into the, the place in, in pigeonholing him in, in the time of his life when he'd made all those mistakes. How many of you are thankful that God gives us a new start and a fresh beginning? God doesn't put me back into the BC box. I was very different before I met Christ. But I do know that I'm a work in progress. And so God calls Jacob Jacob sometimes and Israel sometimes, 
because Jacob was a work in progress. And every one of us is a work in progress. And I love going to that building and to La Sagrada Familia because it's a reminder when you see all the dirt. And it looks great there, but when you go, you'll see workmen there with, with hard hats on. There's dirt, there's mud, there's rubble, there's building. And, and, and sometimes it's a building site, sometimes it's a church. And I love that because it just reminds us that we're a work in progress. Just like that is a work in progress. And when it comes to where we're at in our own lives, God is all about transformation, bringing about transformation in each one of our lives. Jesus told his disciples, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. I'm going to ask the worship team to come now if they would. Be perfect just as your heavenly Father is. That's you. If I'd been in there, I would have just gone, maybe not directly at Jesus, but I'd have told one of the others, that's, that's, that's impossible. How can I be perfect? Well, the Greek word for perfect is teleos. And that Greek word teleos means perfect at your particular stage of development. If you have an apple tree or you have a fruit tree and you look at the fruit, that fruit's not fully formed, but it's perfect as it's growing at its particular stage of development. The, if you're tending that tree, you're not expecting that tree to be at the stage of development that it will be when the, when the fruit is, is supposed to be ripe. Those children that were dedicated today, you don't expect the same level of maturity of those children as their parents. But yet those children are perfect at their particular stage of development. And I want to leave you with that thought that in the process of transformation, when we are relational in our approach to life, when we're generational in our approach to life, and when we're wanting to see transformation in our own lives and be able to transform our world, let's remember that even though we may not be perfect, we are, teleos, perfect at our particular stage of development, as long as we are relational in our outlook, generational in our approach, and transformational in our desire. God is the God who reveals himself from generation to generation. And the Bible tells us that a wise man or a wise woman leaves an inheritance to their children and to their children's children because God wants to see what is going to come through you generationally in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet for a minute as we close? We're going to sing a song for a moment of worship, but I want to pray before we do that. Father, I pray for every person here. I thank you that you are a generational God. I pray that our hearts would be open, our spirits receptive to all that you want to say to each and every one of us. I pray that in all that we do as we go from here, we would go with a sense of you, God, at the very center of our lives, every aspect of it. And we invite you, Lord, to continue to work in us. We recognize we're a work in progress 
Help us, Lord, to be continually changed and transformed from one degree of glory to another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come on, let's worship God together for a few more moments. Done it before, would you do it again? And Lord, send revival, Lord, send it now. Move of your spirit, heaven break out. So come now in power, cover this land. Like you've done it before, would you do it again? Lord, send revival. one last thing that I want to do while before we close would you take a moment just to close your eyes and uh, whether you're watching online or whether you're here with us in person I want to ask you to take a moment to think about where you stand when it comes to your relationship with God we've been talking about how God wants to have a relationship with us and I want to give you an opportunity to think about that to, to pause for a moment. Maybe God's drawing you into a deeper relationship with Him. Maybe you know you need to take some steps or make some changes so that you can align yourself to God's way and to God's, God's divine purpose for your life. And while you're doing that, maybe there are people here today who, who know that you there's something stirring on the inside of you and you want to invite God not just to be on the periphery of your life and world but to be at the very center of your life and your world and I want to invite people to pray a prayer where you can invite God to enter your life and your world ask God to forgive your sins to give you a fresh start so that you can know the gift of eternal life and Jesus came 2,000 years ago, not only to demonstrate God's love, not only to enter into our world, but to set what is broken in our world right once and for all by being the perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God that died on the cross for our sins so that our sins could be forgiven and the penalty of our sin could be removed and we could receive the gift of eternal life and be reconnected to our Heavenly Father.
And if you want to do that today, I want to give you an opportunity to do that by simply praying this prayer after me. And we're going to pray with you together. And whether it's online or here, I know that when you pray that prayer, God will answer your prayer. And you'll begin to sense His presence afresh and anew, His peace working on the inside of you. And have a sense of assurance that God is transforming and changing you and working on the inside of you. Come on, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I come to you today in the name of Jesus. I ask you to forgive me. Give me a fresh start, a new beginning. Wash me clean of all of my sins. And today I receive you as my Savior. I thank you for what you did for me on the cross. And today I believe that because of what you've done, I will never be the same again. Thank you for new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's thank God for his love, his grace. And if you prayed that prayer, or whether it's online or you prayed it here today, we'd love to give you a book. Uh, we have that book that's available. It's called Following Jesus. It's available at the uh, desk there, the sound desk, or out in the foyer. Or if you're watching online, there's a 